to your Creator. You know what I'm talking about? I know for me in my marriage, I, I can go days sometimes without really connecting with Courtney if I'm not careful. But I need to take time to put the phone away, turn the TV off, to sit down on the couch, look each other eye to eye, and talk. Amen. And communicate. Yes. And connect. Yes. Are you connecting to Jesus? Or are you being held down? It is impossible for even death to hold back a true disciple, even from death. You know, prayer has to start in every home. Yeah. Oftentimes, we look outside the walls of our house and we go, wow, the battle's out there, but in here, it's cool. The battle starts in your home. Yeah. And if you can't win battles in your home, you're not going to win battles outside. School's going to get you down if you don't win that little battle of waking up on time. The pressure of the financial stress of living in Seattle is going to get you down if you don't win that battle of budgeting at home. Come on. Your issues with either men or women in your relationships, they're not going to be surrendered. You can't trust anybody in the battle of relationships outside your home if you're not learning how to trust your creator. Right. So many people go, well, I'm just going to connect with God and I'm going to be good to go. And they leave all their relationships as superficial and shallow. And yet Jesus commands us to walk with him. Look in Luke chapter 21. We see Jesus' routine broken down for us in a very simple way, in just one line. In Luke chapter 21, verse 37, it says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. You sort of get this idea of a full circle, a cycle of Jesus' week, where every morning he goes to the temple, and every night he goes to the Mount of Olives, and the next morning, everyone's waiting for him at the temple. Mm -hmm. And he gets exhausted. And he goes back to the Mount of Olives and spends some time with God to get recharged. And sleeps maybe a few hours and then goes right back to the temple the next morning. Mm -hmm. How often the world doesn't understand what it means to connect with God. And they see that pattern and they go, I don't want that. Where's the partying? Where's the fun? Where's the enjoyment? That's just a summary of Jesus' life. If you read all the Gospels, it kind of just fills in all the gaps. Right. Yeah. So often we need the gaps to be filled in for us. Yeah. We see the skeleton of Christianity and we go, why would I want that in my life? Why would I want to be told what to, what to do by the Bible and not told what to do by the preacher and have someone in my life to love me enough to tell me the truth to change my life? Why would I want that if that's not very fun and enjoyable? Meanwhile, all my friends are partying on the weekend, and they go to church on Sunday morning. Mm. you got to have the gaps filled in. Yeah. you got to see the big picture. Jesus says, my hope in John 10, 10 is that you will live life to the full as I do. We need to learn to walk with God, but it starts with prayer in your home. You go, well, what does connecting with God have to do with going to the temple? Well, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, you grow in your knowledge when... You share your faith. So when Jesus is going to the temple to teach and to preach, it was an opportunity for him to connect with God. 
It was an opportunity for him to grow in his knowledge and to teach all the things that he's learning. And of course, after a long day's work, he would go home to the Mount Olives to pray. Now, how does prayer connect you to God? Well, I've often heard it said that prayer is us talking to God, and studying the scriptures is God talking back to us. And so you see a relationship with God, but it all starts at home. Our culture is saturated with materialism. And therefore, we cannot fight with the same weapons of this world. You can't use material to fight against material. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 7, it says, 17, it says, No weapon forged against you will prevail. Isn't that incredible to know that we don't have to fight with the weapons of this world? If someone argues, you don't need to argue back. If someone hurts you, you don't need to hurt them back. But it said prayer can resolve any issue in the heart. I got a call from a friend the other day. Now, me and this friend, we go way, way back. Uh, All the way back to our single days. I first met him in 2007. I was uh, visiting Portland. I was at a conference in Portland, and he uh, he lived in Portland at the time. And we got to know each other. And one of our very first times getting to know each other, we sat down, and he came over, and he just started... uh, This isn't as weird as it sounds, but he gave me a a neck massage. (laughs) I was about to preach, and and I was sitting down. I had this little conference, or this little uh, sermon to do at at one of the campus uh, parts of the conference. And and I'm sitting there, and and I feel this this massaging of my, what what are these called, people that work out? Traps. Traps. And and it's just like massaging, and my shoulders dropped, and my head fell. It just, it was one of those moments. You ever been there before? Yeah. Hopefully you have, if not, sorry about that, but it was just so awesome, this surreal moment, and I turn around, and it's this guy, Tomas, and, and we start talking, and uh, we got to know each other, and he says, you know, good luck on your sermon and everything, and, and it really kicked off a great friendship, and we stayed in touch, and, and uh, you know, we were friends, we, we had been in the same church a couple times, and uh, it was really awesome just to, to, to have a friend like that, and after many, many years, he decided to walk away from God, and he went through some challenges, and uh, he, he walked away, and, and as, he, as he moved out to the boondocks where there, there was no uh, fellowship, as in his words, no fellowship that was meeting his spiritual needs, he started to live the American dream, and after a while, it just kind of numbed him out to the fact that he had been so separated from God. And he called me up the other day because he came to a realization. He's had children. At this point, he just had a son a couple months ago. And there's something about kids that will teach you about God. And, you know, it reminded me of Enoch in in Genesis chapter 5. It says, Enoch, uh, you know, lived for 65 years. And then he had a child, and then he walked with God faithfully <laughs> for 300 more years. And this is kind of like his story. He, he hadn't really been super faithful, but he had a son, and he was doing some, you know, skin-to-skin contact, which is, you know, very encouraged for all you dads out there. Come on, Jose. You get, you get a little skin-to-skin contact, and it's very bonding for the, for the father and the son. And, he put on some Tarzan music in the background, and he just came to this realization of, wow, God loves me this much. What have I been doing? 
And he called me up and said, Joel, I'm broken about my sin. I've, been walked, I've walked away from God. I've been going through some major challenges in my life. We're locked into this housing situation way out here. But I just want you to pray for me so that I can get right with God again. And I think he's watching live stream right now. So. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what God will do to us just to get us soft. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just to warm back up. To our walk with him. Yeah. It may be something horrible and hitting rock bottom, or it may be something awesome like having a child. But God wants all of us yeah. to walk with him. Yeah. We need to resurrect prayer in our homes so that we can walk faithfully with God. Amen. Secondly, we need to resurrect purity on, in every heart. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, just reading here in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. The music, the media, the world... It's seeping into your head every minute of every day. And to the best of our ability, the brother Paul here is encouraging all of us to rid ourselves of everything that's contaminating us, not just physically, but spiritually. A heart that grows sick is weary and down and discouraged. If you are not fired up today, you have done a poor job of ridding yourself of everything that contaminates yeah, your body and spirit. Yeah. You have been poisoned by the devil himself. And though it may not be fatal right now, in time it will take you out. It may start with a little bit of lukewarmness. It may start with a little bit of fear. It may start with some doubts. But eventually that poison will spread throughout your whole body. And it will take you out just as sure as cancer would. That's right. Therefore, we need to rid ourselves of everything that contaminates the body and the spirit and protect ourselves both physically and spiritually. You know, in the Old Testament, there's over a hundred directives for how to purify yourself. We're not going to go through all of them. In fact, we're not going to go through any of them, but you can set them out on your own sometime. But a lot of times we look at our sin of impurity. And what we try to do is we try to make it a clinical issue. And we go, well, you know, I really struggle with these things because this is how I was raised, or this is how I was treated growing up, or these are the problems that I've, I've seen in my own life, and therefore it kind of led me to these other sins. You, you ever been there before? Yeah. You try to justify it or rationalize it or whatever you try to do to it. But at the end of the day, God allowed those things to happen. And so at Judgment Day, there really is no excuse for impurity. You can point all the fingers that you want and say, well, it's probably this or it's probably that. Okay, maybe that's true, but where's the repentance? The Bible teaches that true cure to impurity comes from the Word of God. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 9, it says that how can a young man keep his way pure? So by walking according to the law of the Lord. You know, our only true treatment for impurity is the Word of God. Yeah. But even at that point, it still needs to be a decision that you make. Yeah. 
Yeah. It still needs to be a decision that you've made to rid yourself of these things. And I'm not just talking to the men in the room. You realize that over 84% of Americans have seen pornography at some point. 84%. You go, well, at some point, how many people are actually hooked? 64% of men are hooked. 64% of men in America are watching pornography on a regular basis. Wow. And I looked up the stats for women. It was only off by a few percent. 62% of women watch impurity on a regular basis. Impurity is all around us. The temptations to be impure is everywhere. And we've got to do our very best to rid these things from poisoning our body and our spirits. We've got to resurrect purity in our hearts. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12. Come on, In Hebrews chapter 12, we see a connection here. And really a reason for why all impurity exists. In Hebrews 12 and verse 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You know, looking into our past, you cannot change what you have done. But you can learn from it and move forward. I quoted uh, another lyric on my Facebook last night from another famous artist, rapper. And he said in one of his songs, and I'm not going to promote him here, but he said, a loss is not a loss, it's a lesson. Appreciate the pain, it's a blessing. And I think so often we do need to learn from the past. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't sweep it under the rug. As Lori says, you will trip over that at some point. <laughs> you need to deal with the issues. Look over in Genesis chapter 27. Let us learn from what happened with Esau. In Genesis 27... In verse 41, and we won't go into all the details, but bottom line, Esau had a brother named Jacob. And Jacob robbed him of his inheritance from his father Isaac. And in verse 41 of Genesis 27, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of his, the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Chapter 28, verse 6. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Panama Ram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Panama Ram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Manalit, the sister of Neboeth, 
and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So what happened? He had a grudge. He had an attitude. He had an impure heart. And in time, that impure heart got more and more impure, to the point where he started having thoughts of killing somebody else. I mean, that's some serious bitterness right there. And then the whole chapter passes, years have passed, and he sees an opportune time to tick off his family. And he noticed that his parents were not happy about the idea of him marrying a foreign woman. So what does he do? He goes out, and he marries a foreign woman. He's in mourning to get back at his parents. You know, you can fit yourself in that story. If you struggle with impurity, you can fit yourself in that story in many different ways. Bottom line, sexual impurity starts with an impurity of the heart. It could be an attitude toward another person, God, or yourself. But it starts with an attitude. And if not dealt with, it grows and it festers and it gets worse and worse and worse. That poison starts to spread. And when the opportune time comes, in order to get back at yourself, get back at someone else, or get back at God, you will be impure. And that's where impurity starts. Come on, Joel. There's a direct correlation in Hebrews 12, 15, and 16. Immorality is directly connected to an impure heart. Some level of bitterness. And we need to resurrect a purity in our hearts. And trust me, when you have a pure heart, when you go after a pure heart, being clean in the eyes of God, there will be no struggle with attitudes. There will be no giving in to sexual morality or impurity of any kind because you are so focused on pleasing God. Let's resurrect purity in our hearts. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5. Thirdly, we need to resurrect praise in every hamlet. Come on, Joel. Yo, Hamlet, isn't that like a, some sort of like play or something like that? Well, it is. Hamlet also just means a small little establishment. And I think oftentimes we think that praise is reserved for the bigger picture, kind of like church services Sunday morning. But this scripture teaches us right here that praise needs to be happening all the way down to the Hamlets of life. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Singing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches right here. That we can praise God with our life. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And the implication is that we do it with one another in verse 19. God expects us to praise Him together. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, we saw some awesome praise this morning. It was great. I think we switched it up a little bit to sing less hand clappers and a little more, you know, hymnal kind of songs this morning, which was awesome. But we get to do it together, and ultimately that's what matters, is that we're praising God together. And our voices collaborate to go up to God together, and He will be praised. Amen. The Bible teaches right here in verse 15 that every day is evil. We need to be careful in how we live. Careful in how we live. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, you can write it down. It says, a simple man 
Or a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple man keeps going and he suffers for it. Mm -hmm. Some of us are, are way too simple-minded. <laughs> we need to become more crude and more conservative in how we view the world. We need to be careful and make the most of every opportunity. You know who's making the most of every opportunity? Satan's making the most of every opportunity. Yeah, that's right. Every opportunity, the worm is way into your life, worm is way into your heart, worm is way into your house, worm is way into your household, worm is way into your schooling, worm is way into your finances. He's looking for opportunities to take you out. Yeah. And it doesn't start with a massive flood. Have you ever heard of someone's house flooding by just, you know, a, a tidal wave hitting them in the middle of Seattle and boom, their house is taken out and everything's ruined and destroyed? No, it doesn't happen. What happens? There's a little leak in the faucet, and it grows and grows and grows, and by the time you realize it, it's too late, and then you got six inches of water in your basement. And it ruins your floor, it ruins the walls, creates mold, and that's exactly how Satan works in our lives. <laughs> our neighbor right now is going through a two-month restoration project in her house because of a little leak in one of the faucets. And before she knew it, it had a leak into the floor, and then underneath the floor, and all her floorboards are were destroyed, and she had to do about $20,000 in remodeling in just the floor alone. That's how destructive sin is. Satan, yeah. Satan doesn't go after you with the obvious stuff. Yeah. He goes after you with the little things. Yeah. And he's worming his way into your life. Therefore, we need to be careful. Yeah. The Bible teaches that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, if we all got an alert on our phone right now that said all the lions just escaped the zoo down the street, <laughs> you're not going to walk to your car like it was a normal day. Right. You're going to be very careful. Yeah. Every sound might be a lion. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how it ought to be. We leave our house. Where's the devil? Where's he at? What's he doing? Be aware. Yeah. Don't be naive. Don't be arrogant. Go, well, Jesus got my back. It's going to be all right. No. He's going to find a way to worm himself right, into your life. Right. Forget my job. You know, I think it's important that we understand this. Look over in Psalm chapter 146. Come on, baby. Resurrect praise in every hamlet. I love the examples that God gives us in the Bible. And right here in Psalm chapter 146, we see a Psalm of David. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. David wanted to praise God. Now, David didn't have a perfect life. His legacy was tainted by the whole situation with Bathsheba and Uriah. In fact, it was so bad that after being adulterous with Bathsheba, and after killing her husband Uriah, which was one of his mighty men, God then told him, because of this, you're going to lose your first son. And David was tearing his clothes. He was so distressed. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and 13, he's in so much pain, knowing that he's going to lose his son. He's begging God, don't take my son. I repent, I repent, I repent. But it was too late. God took his son. And how did David react? He went outside and he worshipped God. Yeah. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get resentful. He didn't get an attitude. He didn't go yell at his prophet. 
He just looked at himself in the mirror said, well, I deserve it. I blew it. This is the destruction of my sin. These are the consequences of choices that I've made. Yeah. Now it's time to get back to worship. And that's really how we've got to see yeah. the pain in our life. We need to learn to appreciate the pain. It's a blessing. Yeah. You've got to look at the things that God has done in your life. And you know what? I've got a lot to learn and a long way to go. I so much appreciate our dear sister Deanne sharing her heart with you. Yeah. 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 And I love the vision of the path of life and every brick being a different lesson. Yeah. You know, you have your own path. And it's full of bricks. And you've learned a lot of lessons over the years. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Because someday... Someday, we're going to need to have learned from those lessons. Yeah. So these things will not happen again. And David had a heart to praise God, even when times were challenging. Yeah. Moses praised God too. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 18, it says that when all the people were rescued out of Egypt, he praised God and so did everyone else. Yeah. Oh, it's easy to praise God when things are going good. It's easy to praise God when you had a great week, when you got your bonus this week, when you got all your taxes done, when, you know, you got a new relationship, or, you know, it's easy to praise God when things are going good. Yeah. But we also got to praise God, like when our son just died, and see them both as sovereignty of God. You know, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, Come on, Joe. it's the Last Supper, and all the disciples are together. And Jesus feeds them a meal they'll never forget. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the meal, in chapter 30, it says they got together and they sang some hymns. Mm -hmm. And then they went to the Mount of Olives. Isn't it encouraging to know that even Jesus sang songs? Yeah. It's encouraging to know that Jesus knew some songs that would stick with him, that he would sing up on the Mount of Olives, that he would sing when he was with his guys. And I don't know if Jesus had a great voice. But he was singing. And I think singing is such a big part of our praise to God. We need to have a heart that we are going to praise God. Be it in the big scene or be it down in the hamlets. That we are going to praise God. Our life needs to be dedicated to praise as David's was. You know, so often we can come home. We kick off our shoes, kick our feet up, let our hair down, and if you're not careful, take off the armor of God. Yeah. But who you are at home is who you are. Yeah. When no one else is looking, that's when your convictions are tested. When there's no one to please except God alone, that's when your true colors get exposed. Who are you at home? Are you a worshiper of God at home? We certainly cannot reserve our praise for just Sunday morning, for just Easter service. But we need to resurrect praise in every hamlet. You guys with me here? And fourthly, we need to resurrect passionate relationships. Look at John chapter 13. In John 13, verse 31, it says, When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and now is glorified, and, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself, and will glorify Him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and, and just as I told the Jews, 
So I will tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus, or Peter, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You know, Jesus was the perfect example of loving others. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Even if you know your best friend, <coughs> the best disciple that you know, is going to betray you three times. Are you going to love them? Are you still willing to go to your cross? You know, I think of David and Jonathan in the, Old, in the Old Testament. The Bible teaches that their love for each other was greater than that of a woman. I mean, they had wives, but they loved each other more than they loved their wives. Now, that's pretty extreme right there. But that is one of the examples that we have for how tight our relationships yes. need to be. Joshua and Caleb. Twelve spies are sent into the promised land to go figure out what to do and how they're going to conquer the land. And only two of them came back faithful. And that was Joshua and Caleb. And for the rest of the book of Joshua, we see them hand in hand as yeah. best That's friends. Yeah. There's just something about being in the battle together. Yeah. Yeah. Having vision and building up each other's faith. Yeah. That, that is bonding for life. Yeah. And all the way up to the day Joshua died, Caleb was by his side. I think of Elijah and Elisha. Best buds for life. Elijah calls Elisha to come follow him. And Elisha finds out that Elijah needs to be taken up into heaven. And they're so <laughs> tight together. I mean, they're just so inseparable. God's got to do something drastic to separate them down. So he sends out a chariot of fire. And they're walking hand in hand. And there's a chariot of fire coming <laughs> right at them. And the only choice Elijah had was to jump out of the way. And as soon as they jump out of the way, a tornado comes down, a whirlwind comes out, and takes Elijah up to heaven. And Elijah's left saying, Father, Father, where are you going? And that's the last day ever saw each other. Talk about best friends. I think of Paul and Silas. I mean, Paul went through several missionary buddies, but there's nothing like being in the battle with somebody else. And Paul and Silas are out there preaching. And I mean, they're getting radical. They're heating things up. They get arrested. They go to jail, and they're just so pumped. They're so excited that they're actually getting treated harshly the way that Jesus got treated. It was a reaffirmation that they were doing what was right. Yeah. The persecution only proved to them all the more that they were following in the footsteps of Jesus. Right. And when they're in jail, they couldn't help but to sing and to praise God in Acts chapter 16. They're in jail. Singing at midnight yeah. as best friends. Awesome. You know, we've got to love God, but we've got to love one another. Yeah. In fact, our relationships with each other are a direct reflection of our relationship with God. Look over in 1 John chapter 4. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, I've studied the Bible with tons of different people, and a lot of people are just so confused by what the Bible teaches. And oftentimes people go, well, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? And I'll often show them this passage in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 19 it says, we love 
because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You know, people ask this question, do I have to go to church? Well, you don't have to go to church, but you have to love your brothers and sisters. And where else can you do that than church? I mean, you would think it was weird, right? If someone says, I love my family, oh my gosh, I love them so much. Do you ever call them? I never call them. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I need to see them to love them. But they're in my heart. When was the last time you saw them? Oh, it's been a few years. So is there like an attitude, an issue? Oh no, I, I love them so much, more than anybody else. I mean, would you not think that that was awkward? Would that not be weird? That there wasn't a commitment to the family? And so do you have to go to church? You don't have to go to church. But you have to love God, and you have to love your brothers and sisters. Yeah. And the Bible teaches about relationships in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in the first century, in the book of Acts, of these people that were just inseparable. Yeah. So much so that in Acts chapter 4, the church was growing so fast, there were all these needs in the congregation, and the only way to meet all the needs was if, was if the richer people were selling all their homes <laughs> to give all the money to the church, to take care of all these young Christians. Yeah. That's true family. That's true family. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So what does it mean to truly love each other? It means to have passionate relationships. So much so that you're willing to lay down your life for them. Not figuratively, but actually lay down your life for them. Are you willing to take a bullet? For, no, that's not a good example. They had no bullets in the first century. Are you willing to go to the chopping block for your brother or sister? Are you willing to take a chest full of arrows for your brother or sister? Are you willing to be sawed in half for your brothers and your sisters? Jesus was. He proved it by his life. And the reality is, if you don't like being around people on earth, what makes you think you're going to like heaven at all? You're going to be around people for the rest of eternity. People want to like them, but I don't love them. Is that possible? Is that possible? Is that biblical? No. You know, we can't be towing the line of, you know, what does he actually mean about this? If you want to put your life on the line, sit at the table of life and throw it all on the table, on the hopes that liking is good enough for God, then you go ahead and do that. But according to my Bible, we need to be willing to lay our lives down for each other in the same way that Jesus did for us. You know, these points about prayer, purity, praise, passionate relationships, these are not just things that need to exist in the church, but in each of our lives. Yeah. 
These are things that only by the power of God can they be resurrected in your life. Perhaps you used to pray a lot. Perhaps you used to be pure. Perhaps you used to praise God. Perhaps you used to be passionate. Allow the power of God to resurrect these things in your life. Perhaps you know the good you ought to do. Allow the power of God to resurrect these things in your life. You know, I'm so inspired by the resurrection. And recently, I saw the movie Paul. And I'll be honest, I wasn't super thrilled about it. I was kind of envisioning, you know, the, the Paul of like Acts 16, 17, 18, 19. I wasn't expecting the Acts of, or the Paul of like Acts chapter 29 when he's like lying on his deathbed. But I come to now realize the movie's not about Paul, it's about Luke. And that kind of softens my heart a little bit to the idea. But, you know, there's this one scene in the movie where Paul is sitting there in jail. Actually, that's every scene in the movie. (laughs) And Luke comes to him. And Paul is just rolling in his sleep because he's being haunted by these nightmares of his past. There was a scene earlier on in the movie where he kills a little girl because of the faith of her family. And he's in this dream, and he's just tossing these And the nightmare is just making him sweat. And he screams out. And he wakes up. And he just rocks back and forth. He goes, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. And he turns over and Luke is sitting right there. He goes, Luke, it's so good to have you by my side, brother. Wow. You know, when I think of these things resurrecting in our lives. We cannot do it alone. We need one another. Church is not an establishment created by men to push the Christian religion. Our brothers and sisters of the first century had church every day. All day. They were together pouring their lives out for each other. And that is the commitment that we have for one another. You know, as we close, I really want you to take a little time on Easter Sunday to reflect. Yeah. Now I get it. Jesus probably didn't really resurrect 1,989 years ago today. I get that. But take some time to reflect on the power of the resurrection. Yeah. And allow that power the gospel of Christ to resurrect you spiritually. And I'm telling you, you will not regret it. I'm telling you that you will not think twice about whether it was worth it or not. And someday you'll look around and things are not going to be going very very easy and, and you might even be where Paul was. My grace, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. As you fight for your faith. And when you roll over, you're going to want Luke sitting right there. (coughs) Let's have the passionate relationships that God calls us to. Let's resurrect the praise and the purity and the prayer. As we, like Enoch, walk with God for another 300 years.
years. I love you guys. Come on.